Welcome to the Redeemer Lincoln Square podcast. Our church began in 2017 and is located just down the street from Lincoln Center in the Lincoln Square neighborhood of Manhattan. Our podcast will primarily feature sermons from our Sunday worship service and the occasional interview or ministry resource. We hope you'll subscribe. Now, here's today's message. Good morning. Today's scripture reading is from Galatians chapter 1, verses 1 through 10. Paul, an apostle, said not from men nor by a man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers and sisters with me, to the churches in Galatia. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we, or an angel from heaven, should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. As we have already said, so now I say again. If anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let them be under God's curse. Am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Or am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. Amen. Uh, Good morning again and happy new year. Glad that you're here with us with Redeemer Lincoln Square. If you are new to the city... Or uh, new to uh, this church, you should know that this church was started about two and a half years ago from Redeemer West Side. And we started this church to be a place where you're known, loved, and cared for. And therefore, if you're new, if you, no matter where, what you believe, this is supposed to be a place where you, we value questions and those who ask them, which is why we are restarting our uh, Q&R after the service. You can text in questions now. We'll deal with them afterwards. You can come. You can text them. You can, or if you don't want to have any questions, you can listen to other people's questions but uh, that's why we're here to process together. So we're starting a new series, and we're essentially going to go through the book of Galatians verse by verse. And the reason why is this. Last uh, fall, we actually started a series. We did a series on uh, the, the life of Abraham. We saw how he was called out, how he was sent out on mission towards others. And so we have to ask, if we're going to go be a church, not just for ourselves, but for others, if we're going to be a church going out on mission, what is the root, what's the basis for that mission? We need to ask ourselves, what's the driving force for our mission? And that's the book of Galatians. Galatians, in Galatians, Paul is speaking to a bunch of new churches, similar to us. They're in southern uh, Asia Minor. And those churches were filled with people, also very similar to us. They were uh, mostly city, city dwellers. They were diverse. They came from a lot of different backgrounds. And Paul was worried for this, these people. But he was worried not because he thought they were going to give up the faith. No, they believed in uh, the gospel, but unbeknownst to them, they were actually changing it and perverting it into something that was different without them even knowing it. And so our biggest danger here in this church, two and a half years in, it's not for us all one day to just wake up and, and go somewhere else and, and, and believe in something radically different. The bigger problem 
is that this counterfeit gospel is actually already here with us. It's already here. And that this, God, this counterfeit gospel looks good on the outside. It might be the gospel of prosperity that essentially says this. It's very subtle. That basically if you believe in Jesus, things are going to go well for you. Or there's the, the gospel of family, right? If you believe in Jesus, that's how you can organize your family life. Or you have the gospel of self. That if it's, it's your faith, it's your, it's your uh, belief in Jesus will somehow in some level personally fulfill you. You could, have the, you could have the gospel of, uh, essentially, of morality. That Jesus, belief in Jesus will help us go out and serve and love the, the world. Now, these things are dangerous not because they're radically different from Christianity. They're dangerous because it's so easy to confuse them with the real thing. Christianity does actually lead to fulfillment. It's actually good to prosper. It's good to have a family life. It's good to move out and serve and love the world. And yet none of those things in and of themselves is actually good news. And so when we focus on them, we're actually going to end up missing the crazy power that Christianity is based off of. And that's why I think Paul was so upset. Is that we learned by the end of the book that the people who were spreading this false gospel, they weren't running around saying, hey, we're doing something radically different. No, they were walking the walk. They were talking the talk. They, they knew all the jargon. They knew all the terminology. But what they were offering was something radically different than the life-transforming power inherent in Christianity. And therefore, if Paul thinks it's easy for us to, quote-unquote, believe the gospel, but then actually what we're really believing isn't that, we need to be laser-focused on this. If you're not a Christian here today, the reason why you should be excited for this series is that we're going to get at the essence of what it means to be a Christian. We're going to look at the core, we're going to get the center, and that should be helpful. But if you are a Christian here this morning, we need this because we think we know, but we really don't. That's what Paul's saying. That he thought this was more important to talk about, to deal with, he puts a whole book to it, that this is life and death to have. Because the problem is that we don't even know this is a problem. That we think the stuff of, of gospel is the beginning, but now let's get, to, let's get to 2.0. Let's go to the next level. And Paul is saying, if you hold that view, you're actually missing it. And so this is what we need to begin with. Today, let's look at the seriousness of the issue, why this is serious, and then the how to take this seriously. If you want life-transforming change in your life, you have to look at the seriousness of the issue, why it's serious, and then how to then take it seriously. So first, the seriousness of the issue. Paul opens his letter. If you look at our text here, there's some greetings, there's some opening lines. But the seriousness of the issue comes into focus very quickly. Look in verse 6. He says, I am astonished. Or in some translations, I am shocked by what I'm seeing, that you are so quickly deserting. Now, that word that translates as shock Paul here is about 15 years into ministry. I uh, am about 15 years into ministry. And after 15 years, you start to notice things. You see a lot. And so for Paul to say, I can't even believe, I'm shocked, I'm astounded, that's actually saying something. But what's he seeing? He's seeing a transference. He's seeing an identity change in them. And he emphasizes this with some rhetoric found in verse 8. Look at verse 8. He says, 
even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one that we preach to you. Now, that's, that's, there's, there's a rhetorical device, but what's, what's all that about? It's this. Famed uh, 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 philosopher Charles Taylor, who um, I think is one of our, uh, the, the best modern ph- uh, philosophers that we have today, he has, I think, proven that for centuries, for millennium, the way humans got identity, let me show you how you, how you got identity, is you, you, this is, you're here, but if you wanted truth, if you wanted objective reality, you had to go outside of yourself into the world to find it. That internally, what do you have? You have opinions, you have feelings, you have emotions. But if you wanted truth, you needed to go outside. And what he has shown is there's been a major shift in modern thought, even in the past couple of years or decades, where we have reversed that now, the way we think about things is this, to get identity, we look outside and we say, whoa, outside of us are opinions. Everybody has an opinion out there. And if you want truth, you need to look inside, look internally. That if you want to get in, if you get in touch with your deepest feelings, with your deepest emotions, your deepest, re, uh, you know, truths internally, that's where you're going to find truth. This is why, by the way, if you ask people with this kind of view, you say, okay, why do you serve the poor? Why do you care for your neighbor? Where's your morality come from? Even though you don't believe in God, you don't believe in any kind of overarching moral authority, you know what they'll tell you? They'll say this. They'll say, well, everybody just knows. It's internal. We just all know that this is real and true. In other words, I don't need objective truth outside to live by. I know through my feelings and desires. We all know this. It's inside. By the way, this is, this is why we're all perpetually mad at each other right now. We're all angry at each other because everybody is appealing to their inner feelings and saying, I know what's best for society. We need to do this and this and this, and I, can just, I just know it's true even though our statements are all contradicting each other. And so we're perpetually mad because we're locating that truth internally and Paul's saying that's never going to work. And the way he shows us that is that he uses this, this rhetoric. He gives us an example. He says, hey, even if an angel comes to you and tells you and says, here's the way before it, behold, I give you, here's how to live. It might feel true to you, It might be a great supernatural experience. You might think it's from God himself. And Paul is saying, if it isn't the true, real gospel, then you have to reject it. In other words, he's saying the real, true gospel is more important than your experiences. And that's actually hard for us to hear because for modern people, experience is king. But he's saying, hey, let's say, you, you know, for example, you have a supernatural experience you have this feeling, this, this being comes to you and says, here's the way to go, live this way, do these four things, and then you're in. And Paul says, that doesn't matter. Your sense of what you think God or any other supernatural being is actually telling you cannot be the authority in your life. And Paul feels so strongly about this. In the same verse, verse 8, he says, let them be under God's curse. And I think our translators were being very... Um, PG for us, because if you take the Greek in its, its, its more literal sense, he's basically saying you can go to hell. That's, what, that, that's how strongly he feels about this. That He says, basically, I don't care if it's a supernatural being. Take that angelic individual, take them by the seat of their holy, glorious pants, and throw them out. That's how serious Paul is. He's serious like a heart attack. And I think this would have floored the original listeners because he's, he's saying, listen, 
I can't trust my emotions, my experiences. It doesn't matter if you get in a vision or a word or a feeling. None of that matters if it is different from what Paul calls here in verse 6, the grace of Christ or the good news of Christ. Now listen very closely. He's not saying that, you know, your feelings and emotions are nothing. Of course, they're part of who you are. But what he's saying is this, that at the end of the day, do you use your experiences to judge the gospel or will you allow the gospel to actually judge your experiences? That's the question. And just in case you think, oh, Paul's setting up some sort of system where everybody's going to have to, you know, listen to him, he throws himself in here. He, look at verse 8. Even if we, even if I say something that is contrary to this, then you, he's saying, then you can throw me out. Pastors spend their whole lives saying, listen to me, listen to me. But he's saying, no, 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 actually, you can't. Maybe you shouldn't listen to me if I'm saying something different here. And, I have to, and me, individually, Michael, I need to say the same thing to you as well. That, you know, if, if it's something radically different, then you need to run out of here. Nothing is more important. This church could be the best at caring for the poor. This church could be the best at caring for each other as a family. We could do some amazing things here. And even though we're doing all these other things that are right, Paul is saying, if you don't have this, not once, not twice, he's saying, go to hell. In verse 8, and then he says it again in verse 9 with the double emphatic. And so I guess the question we have to ask before we move on is this. Are we going to let God's good news judge us or are we going to judge it? Will we sit on the throne of our own experiences and reality and life? And will we pick and choose what we will accept? Or or will we let it pick and choose what's actually acceptable in us? I think that's the question we have to ask. And I think that's where we're going to go through this series. It's these very verses that we have to get this right. Even if we're just a little bit wrong, you know what Paul's saying? He's saying you're demonically and hellishly wrong. I think this is why you have to love Paul. Paul's like, hey, intro, greetings. Good to see you. Hi, hi, hi. By the way, I'm shocked and astonished that you're not taking this more seriously. At Redeemer Lincoln Square, we value questions and the people who ask them, which is why we hold a time of question and response, or Q&R, after our Sunday worship service. It's an opportunity for anyone to text in questions and then process responses alongside our pastor and other members of our church community. If you have questions about today's message, send an email to lsq at redeemer.com or join us for our Sunday worship service. Now, here's the remainder of today's teaching. All right, so secondly, okay, why then is it, why is it so serious? And some of you are like, okay, it, okay, you're saying it's serious, but, but I don't know why it's serious. And, and, and the answer is, well, he tells us. Look at verse 7. He says this is serious because this is nothing less than the perversion of the gospel. Right? It's, he says you, you are trying to pervert it. Now, in verse 6, what's the gospel? Verse 6 tells us the gospel is the grace of Christ. And in verse 9, this is something that you can either accept or reject. But the Greek word for to pervert here doesn't mean just to desert, uh, sorry, distort. It means to invert. It means to reverse it, turn it inside out. And so something could look like the gospel, but actually it's no gospel. It's, 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 the, rever- it's the reversal of it. The Greek word gospel just means good news. And so if it's not good news, it can only be advice. 
if this is not reportage of what he's done for you, that means on some level, it means there's something for us to have to still do. And so I think Paul is saying this is serious because the operating nature of the human heart doesn't actually want the gospel. And this is why he's, it's so, we're so astonishingly quick to give it up in verse 6. Because at the end of the day, it doesn't make sense to us. You want to know what makes sense to us? Do. That's the operating principle of the world. I put, what I put into life is what I get back out of it. Maybe you've heard the phrase, there's no such thing as a, a free lunch. That phrase, that motto basically means, listen, there's somebody's always paying. There's always some sort of, 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 of uh, extraction or, or um, transaction that's going on. And, the, and because of that, we're going to have a hard time to believe in Jesus' salvation by grace alone. That our actual natural inclination might be, okay, yeah, Jesus, you know, saves, but then I actually still have to do. And, that, and yet Paul's saying that's not the gospel. Look, what does it mean? Verse 6, it, gospel means you're called. That's the Greek word kaleo. To be called by, by just so you know, you can't, you can't call your, yourself. You, to, you're called. If I say, hey, you know, Chuck, or, or, you know, hey, Cynthia, or hey, Bob, I'm calling you. you you're not doing that. It's being done to you. And so to receive it, at some level, you live it in it by grace. And I, those phrases, by grace, I get, I'm so worried when I say phrases like that to you because in the church, those phrases are thrown around left and right. And yet, Paul is basically saying it's people like us, it's, peop- it's, it's people who think they're Christians that don't really know how to live by grace. And the reason why is because actually, unbeknownst to us, every fiber of our spiritual and our moral and even our physical lives doesn't want this. We don't want the free grace. We like, we like our version of grace. And what Paul is saying, that's actually a different gospel. He uses the word different here. And the word different, by the way, is where, where we get, it's the Greek word heretos, where we get the word heterodoxy. Where, and, this, and I think, okay, let me try to show you in three ways why I think you don't actually want grace. Number one, Merit. The world, the world operates under the idea that you get what you pay for, right? That, that's the idea of merit. It's like a Coke machine, right? If I want a Coke, what do I need to do? I need to put money in and you get money. You put money in, you get, you get a Coke out. I put work in, I get compensation out. That's how we work. That, that's, that's how the whole world works. It's how most of our relationships work. If I'm nice to you, you're nice to me. If I'm not nice to you, you're not nice to me. And that's why, by the way, we're working ourselves to death. It's why there's that sort of low-level anxiety in all of us. I'm not talking about clinical anxiety. That's different. There's, I'm talking the angst that's sort of everyday present in our lives because we feel like we won't be given something unless we go out and get it ourselves. My grandfather, um, on my mom's side... I miss him. He was an amazing man. But I remember, I remember like it was yesterday, he said this to me. He said, Michael, I don't believe in God. But if there was a God, I know that he would accept me because I'm a good person. I've done good things in my life, and a God who doesn't accept good people would be unreasonable. And so what, no matter if there's a God or not, I'm good to go. And that stayed with me because my, my grandfather was expressing something. I think a lot of us, you might not even know it, but we secretly hold that same view. 
At some level, we say, you know, my merit at some place was, is going to mean something. What I do is going to mean something. Now, I'm a good person. God has to let me in. That's merit, not grace. How about fear? Um, if you think about it, I think a lot of folks who look at Christianity from the outside, you know what they see? They see crazy. <laughs> they say, you know what? They say, listen, wait, you're telling me that the God of the universe came down in the person of Jesus 2,000 years ago, hung on some wooden beams, and somehow in the Middle East, that actually pays for the sins of the world. That's interesting, Michael. That's nice. Okay. Like, that looks kind of crazy. So you know what ends up happening? I think for a lot of us, out of fear of what other people think, we build a system that makes more sense to people. You want to know what sounds a little bit less ridiculous? Here's what sounds le- less ridiculous. Try hard. Be good. Do some good deeds out there. And maybe over time, the big man in the sky will actually let you in. I think that makes a lot more sense. You say, okay, does that make sense to you? Yeah, it makes more sense. Okay, good, good. Let's do it. That's fear. Uh, thirdly, debt. Uh, Paul talks about um, people who are, call themselves Christians, but they don't really believe this. A friend of mine told me a story. Um, this is years ago. And it's part of the world or part of America where um, people drive, car, drive these things called cars. And they, these, uh, these kids were doing a free car wash. And they were like, hey, you know, big signs, free car wash, come on in, and we'll, we'll wash your car. And they take out the sponges and do the whole thing. And what ended up happening is a lot of people who would ride up, they would actually try to hand money at the end and, and try to pay for it. And the kids were like, no, 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 this is a free car wash. And actually, the drivers, some of the drivers got mad that, they, that the, the, the students wouldn't let them pay. And so they would actually throw the money and say, take my money, you know. Like, this, you know, how dare you, you know, give this away for free? And the, the students were bewildered, and you can laugh at them, but you know what? A lot of us have this app on our phone called Venmo. And Venmo is an easy way to exchange uh, electronically funds. And what some research, researchers have discovered is that Venmo has been killing generosity among each other because back in the old days, when we would go out for a cup of coffee, one of us would pay for the other one. And there'd be some level of like, you know, gratitude of thank you. I appreciate that. Or I'll get you next time. But that feeling is gone. Now we just Venmo the other person because you know why? I don't want to feel in debt to you anymore. I don't like that feeling. I don't want to feel like I owe you. Because I want the idea that I've earned it. I want the idea that this, I, I can stand on my own two feet. But that's not the gospel. All right, so for all these reasons, merit, fear, debt, whatever it is, you might say you believe in the grace of Jesus Christ. But I think, I don't, then let me me try to prove to you. Why then do you still have that nagging feeling that you're not doing enough? Or that sense of failure? Or that sense that you're overworked or that you overvalue things? Why is it? See, if merit was enough, you wouldn't have those feelings. At some level, you know that you can't do enough. And that's why I think that even if you believe in 95% of God, grace, but there's just a few things I need to do on the side. If I just do these things and respond, then I'm good to go. That's, you know what that is? If that's, that's 95% God and 5% you, it still means it's up to you at some level. And Paul is saying that slight change makes it uh, heterodox. It, it's, it's different. It looks similar, but the power, the inherent power inside of grace has now been defanged and 
now it's been stripped of its ability. Uh, if I was a painter, and this is if my family knows I'm not a painter, I'm terrible at painting. But let's imagine I was a good painter, like a really good one. And I spent a long time making this beautiful creation. And I handed you this painting and I said, here you go. What if you, you received, you said, this is nice. I'm just going to kind of add a little bit over here. Change some colors over there. Maybe pull this part off and rip it off. And now it feels better. That's not okay. You can't add to it. it if the beauty was its, in, its inherent value as I handed it to you, you, by adding to it, you've actually subtracted from it. It's the same thing with the gospel. The beauty of the gospel is that if you add to it in any way, you've actually subtracted from it. If the gospel is the news of what Jesus has done and it's reported to you, if you add to it anymore, it's not news anymore. And that is why Paul is so serious because what's at stake is the very nature of the heart-transforming power of Christianity. So, last point. How do we take this seriously? All right, and it's so easy to gloss this over. I know some of you are sitting here. You're thinking about lunch. You're like, Michael, you're, you're, you're overdoing this. But Paul is so intense because he knows that unless he pushes on this, the people will miss the power. We will miss the power and the grace of God if this stays an abstraction in our life. You know, a lot of us say, you know what we say? We say, I believe in God. I just don't feel his presence. You know what that might be? It might mean that you haven't actually felt God's unmerited grace. It's still an abstraction to you. And so I think a lot of us say, well, it can't be completely free. If it's completely free, what's our incentive to live a good life? And now the rest of the series, we're going to get into that. But Paul addresses it here briefly. Look what he says in verse 4. Before anything else he says, he says in verse 4, Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age. Right, even before that verse, if you want to go to the very first verse, before the first thing he says is he says, Jesus, who was raised from the dead, I mean, he roots this in the nature and action and work and deity of Jesus Christ. And by doing that, what he's saying is that if you believe you go to heaven at some level because you've lived a good life, and that means, you know what that means? That's, that means it's, it's, it's not a free lunch for you. It's free for God, but not free for you. But you're going to work through your life, killing yourself to try to be a good person. And here's the irony. If you actually ever feel like you are a good enough person, you tend to be the type of individual who looks down at other people and says, well, I did it. How come you didn't do it? Which then, by the way, doesn't make you a good person anymore. Or... You end up just striving and trying, and you're a wreck because you never get there. Right? And, and, and that's how every other faith operates in this world. Be like Buddha. Be like Muhammad. Be good. But the true gospel says, no, it's radically free to you, but infinitely costly to him. That's what we find here. Notice it says, it, he gave. That's the key operative word. You didn't take you didn't deserve. You didn't earn it. He willingly and fully lost his glory, lost his relationship to his father, his immortality, giving it up to give it back to you. And when the Holy Spirit calls you, when he grabs you with that, it doesn't just turn you into a free person. It doesn't just take off your shackles. 
You don't just live for yourself anymore. You start asking yourself, I want to live for the one who did this for me. You wouldn't live to yourself anymore. You're gonna say, Where, when my life is now free because of him, now how, now how shall I live? True story that I think gets at the essence of this that I've, I've told, but it's, it's too good not to use again. Um, it happened a couple of decades ago. If you're a geology person, you know that uh, the Mississippi River uh, in America, it's one of our main places where we transport our goods, we put barges on there. But over time, the, because of the soil and the hills and mountains, it, it, the, the erosion gets away and gets into the Mississippi River and kind of fills it up. And it would make the river too shallow for the huge barges that we have in there. So actually pretty regularly, they drudge up, they, they, they take the silt in the sand and they put it on the riverbanks. And they stack it up there and they create these huge sand dunes. And um, these sand dunes are unstable because the water rushes out from underneath it and they can be very unstable. And so children are told, don't play on those sand dunes. Well, a couple decades ago in St. Louis, two young brothers one day, they were playing on these sand dunes and they didn't come home for dinner. And the parents and the family and the neighbors and the police, they, went, they did a search party. They went looking for uh, these two boys and they couldn't find them anywhere. They eventually went to the riverbank and in the sand dune, they actually found the youngest son buried up to his neck. He was passed out. They brought some smelling salts. They started digging them out and they asked him, they said, where's your older brother? He didn't respond at first. And so they asked him again. They said, where's your older brother? And very softly he said, I'm standing on his shoulders. He had fallen into the sand and his brother dove in, put him on his shoulders so that he would live even though the older brother died. Jesus Christ is that brother who goes down into the sand, into the pit, and puts us on his shoulders. He lifts us up after we fell into our sin and into our shame, into all this, even this possibility of changing grace from what it really is into something different. He puts us on that shoulder. And you say, okay, you say, what is grace? You are in that pit, and yet at great cost to him, he died to get you out. He lifts us up out of the sand, out of the dust, your job, your family, your looks, your, what you're going to eat in about two hours, none of that can actually do what this does for you. It can't lift you up out. That's grace. That's free. It's undeserved, and it's costly. And so Paul, you know what's great about this? Paul's not saying, this is not just an idea, folks. This is not just an idea of grace. He roots it in a person. This is why when you desert it, the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ You don't desert an idea, you desert a person, which is why when you get the gospel, you're not just getting an idea, you're actually getting a relationship with a person. Now you don't have to, now I want to. Don't pervert the gospel. It's not I obey or I do and therefore I'm accepted. You've already been accepted and now now you might want to obey. That's inverted. That's different. That the only thing that will change you will be this relationship where you say, I want to spend time with the one who freed me. I want to spend time with the one who saved me, who accepts me just as I am. I think it's so hard for us to say to, to ourselves, I really don't have to do anything. I don't do anything. Yes. You might be a failure in life. You might be a failure in your marriage. You might be a failure in your job. You might be a failure in every other way. 
And God looks at you in the person of Jesus and says, you're all I've ever wanted. And when that melts you, and you, start, you will start asking, who are you and what are you about? One quick application to put to this is, okay, you want to know how this might be active in your life? Earlier we said your emotions and your experiences, they can't judge the gospel. However, since they're part of who you are, your emotions and your experiences need to be moved by the gospel. You need to ask yourself, I'll say it again, you might not be able to use your emotions to judge the gospel, but if this is operating really in your life, it needs to affect you. It has to change you. It moves out. And you know what? If it hasn't fully, you can begin today. It starts with a very simple prayer. Dear Jesus, I want to want this more. That's it. I want this. Help me to want it. And when we start repenting of all the good ways, the ways we just sort of live our life without him and actually fully receive him, those things can change and start. If you want this to be true for you, God's grace is there. This is the beginning of real life. Let's accept it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, this is good news, and yet we might, with our heads, intellectually get this, but with our hearts, we don't. I pray that you will, br- you will bring a divine and supernatural light into our hearts. Give us a sense of your nature and being. Move us beyond just an intellectual concept of this. Move us out of maybe 95% understanding this and to f- there's still things for us to do. Help us to actually love you, serve you, but to first accept your free grace given to us. And out of that, all the power, all the change, all the possibility comes. Help us to do this. We praise things in your name. Amen. Thanks for tuning into our church's podcast. We pray that it can serve as a resource for you as you continue processing aspects of Christianity and growing in your faith. We hope you'll subscribe to our podcast, and we invite you to join us for worship on Sunday. We're located at the corner of West 64th Street and Central Park West. More details can be found on our website, lincolnsquare.redeemer.com. Thanks again for listening to the LSQ Podcast.